to another. Like, you know, if you're going to be doing business with a company that's going to produce things for you, and you're going to be also doing business with the company that, that, that you produce things for your middle system that takes invoices and, and, and produces mm-hmm. invoices, they've got to be able to talk. And sometimes there's layers, there's lots of layers and there's lots of complexities involved in making those systems talk to one another. And so that's kind of what EDI is. Is that, is that too much or is you, that? No. Oh my gosh, that was perfect. And oh. the, the other important aspect is that it's got to happen instantaneously. It's got to happen right at that moment. So, yeah. And, and and there's a lot um i mean just a whole bunch behind the scenes um and 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 kind of you know I, it seems like every time i talk to somebody uh in one of these podcasts i end up coming up with a new unsung hero of the technology world and ED, <laughs> edi might be the one for this episode yeah. um but and and it's one that you know i learned about it in school and what it was and that type of thing but it's i mean it's it's its own little niche field and you you know, you usually don't get a job where you're doing something and they're like, oh, you're going to do EDI too. It's usually kind of a specialty and something that somebody works head on because it's complex and it requires you to really have that kind of um, put that hat on and be in that mode while you're working to, because you, you can't have errors. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, so as a customer support analyst, my job was to whenever those errors that you can't have happened and they would happen, you know, we would have to go in and figure out what happened. Um, and I really like that because a lot of it, it, it is like learning another language. You know, you stare at these little, I mean, I guess all technology is kind of like that, but uh, for whatever reason, um, EDI and its various flavors really, really hit home for me. And, uh, I, I love being able to, you know, sort of translate, you know, all this gobbledygook into, okay, well here I can see that this is failing on this part because this map isn't configured correctly and so on and so forth. And, uh, even though I was only there for a year, I, I feel like I got pretty good at, at, at that aspect of the job. So. And, and a lot of the companies, I mean, they're working with systems that they have built themselves. And so it's all these mm-hmm. different weird proprietary formats in some cases. And, and so each, each new company that you work with or each new customer is, is kind of like a, uh, a new experiment in figuring out how to make things talk properly. Yeah, yeah. And you have like, uh, I mean, if you want to think of it like a science experiment, you have your same no matter what the customer, you're going to have your same uh, Bunsen burner, you're going to have your same uh, uh, flask and uh, everything like that. But whatever you put into that is completely different across the board for whatever the customer needs and wants. So it's nice to have that sort of framework and then figuring out what you can do within that framework. So. And, and then, of course, there's there's networking and security that's all over 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 wrapping, I guess, or wrapping over all these things. Mm-hmm. And, you knew, and you knew about that stuff, too. So probably uh, extra valuable having that, you know, that that on your mind while you're doing EDI stuff, yeah. too. Oh, yeah, for sure. I will say as I as I've advanced further and further in my career and gotten further away from school, um, maybe spoilers, but, you know, I, I haven't had a security job since, since school. And so I, I still think about that and I still, you know, make sure that that's part of my thinking for whatever my job is at that time. But the, the details and the, the um, remembering all the Cisco configuration codes and stuff like that, that's slowly frittered away throughout the ages. Sure. 
So, so you had your time at liaison and then you mm-hmm. relocated. Tell us about that step. Yeah. So, um, I had totally forgotten this, but I guess at some point in college, I'd put my, uh, resume on SIU's, uh, like a official careers page, mm-hmm. which, um, businesses look at and recruit from. And so about a year after I graduated and I was working at liaison, I got a call out of the blue from a recruiter at Cerner, which is a healthcare system located out of Kansas city who, excuse me, mentioned that they had seen my resume on, uh, SAU site and thought I would be a good fit for a security role uh, and reached out to see if I'd be interested. And uh, it was double the salary in a not Southern Illinois location. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you were, you were some of the first, uh, one of the first groups of students that went out to Cerner. We had quite a few. Cerner was yeah. hiring like crazy and they were recruiting at SIU for, um, for several years, really heavily. Um, a lot of people. So did you kind of kind of find yourself in a community of Salukis once you got there? Yeah. So uh, Jared Seats uh, was out there. Um, and there's a couple other, uh, Bob. Um, Peters. Uh, Peters. Yeah. Thank you. Bob Peters was out there as well. And there's a couple other folks too that I'm, I'm blanking on their names on, unfortunately. But yeah, there's a, a decent amount out there. But it was such a big company. I didn't work with any of them directly, but it was nice to, you know, see their names on, on, uh, the company's, uh, Skype and, uh, uh, we would see each other ever so often. I think you actually came out for, uh, uh, I did. We had Kansas a little city alumni event yeah. one night. Well, yeah. When, when I got to go visit Cerner, we did, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So you spent some time at Cerner. Um, what was your yeah. role at Cerner, a systems engineer? What'd you do? Yeah. So well, at Cerner, they wanted me for a security role. Uh, that role got filled before I actually started. So I got thrown into, they called it the system engineer training track, which is right. just, you're going to be a system engineer. We're going to go through a month uh, of training. And then at the end of the month, whatever team needs people, a system engineer, it could be in you know infrastructure, it could be in security, it could be all over the place. We're going to assign you a role, essentially. And I got assigned a role in the foreign systems integration team, which is uh, EDI again, mm-hmm. uh, except it's dealing with um, HL7 for the most part, which is okay. a the healthcare equivalent of the X12 standard. So uh, similar to what I was doing before, you know, um, whenever you're in the hospital, it's a disparate mass of systems that have to be able to communicate with each other. Um, your scheduling system needs to be able to talk to your registration system, which needs to be able to talk to your lab system, so on and so forth. And making those systems be able to talk to each other in languages that they understand instantaneously, that pretty much was my job. And that was a huge thing with Cerner because they're selling these giant, uh, what was it called? Millennium? Yeah. They're selling Millennium. They're they're second at the time, or or now second largest healthcare record system in the country, and Correct. and HL seven is kind of the the data interchange language that is used across the healthcare space. And so, yeah. thank thankfully, you know that makes the job a little easier. Is that all these these healthcare companies, for the most part, their systems are speaking that language, and so. When when Cerner comes in and they make a big pitch to a hospital 
company or a hospital organization or system in Oklahoma, they say, hey, we can, you know, we can do all these things and make your system integrate and move all the data and stuff like that. But and but they'll say, but we've got this system, we've got this system. And you'll say, well, Cerner can talk to both of those. And so, you know, you you come you come in there and your your job as a foreign systems integrator is to make all those talk. Yep. That's exactly right. And and make sure that the data when it flows from the the old scheduling system into the, the Cerner Millennium is accurate and timely because again, you know, you can't have a, a physician putting in an order and 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 that order not getting there for a half hour um, after you know afterwards because it was being processing. So that's, that stuff's got to happen quick. It could be life or death. Yeah, and uh, there's. The other crucial thing that you want to worry about is you want to make sure that it's, you know, it's happening quickly and it's also happening on the right people. So making sure that, you know, when they put in an order that flows downstream to a lab system, that lab system is going to put in that order for the right patient. So making sure that all the patient stuff lines up. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, I really, really enjoyed it, but it was at the end of the day, you know, not the kind of work that we were doing was it maybe quite life or death, but, you know, close enough that it's always on your mind. You're thinking about it. You know, it's important, important work. So. And you said just now you really, really enjoyed it. And and I think, you know, some of these tech jobs like like EDI, like, you know, you know like coding, a lot of students are, are graduating from our program and they're like security. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. And, and they end up <laughs> going into something else that ter- turns out to be equally as interesting and as fulfilling. Um, yeah. And so maybe any advice on, on somebody who's, you know, gotten a role that maybe wasn't their first choice. Uh, I mean, my advice would be to give it a shot. You can, probably find aspects of what it was that maybe you enjoyed specifically about security and networking um, that applies to whatever your non-system networking and security role is. Um, I always think it's really funny. I, when I was in college, I hated the database classes, Mm -hmm. not because of the faculty or anything like that. I just found them incredibly boring and not nearly as interesting as uh, uh, the security networking stuff. And now my, I live in databases all day. That's all I do. Um, and I, for me specifically, what I liked about the security and the networking was you could sort of, you know, I knew what I was doing. I could lock in, uh, I could zone in and it just sort of like flew and I knew what I was doing. Um, and I liked sort of the ability to shut everything else out and just be in the zone. And, uh, that's, what I do now. And that's what I like now is that ability to just, you know, get in a groove, get the music pounding in the ears and, you know, just uh, be hitting the sequel all day. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I, I just think give it a shot because you'll be surprised at what it is that, that, that you enjoy or maybe not enjoy. So, Awesome. Good advice. Um, so how long were you at Cerner? I was at Cerner for, I think, four years. Okay. Four years sounds right. And and in in that time, kind of progressing up, doing different things, learning new stuff in the EDI, mm-hmm. HL seven space, but still foreign systems integration. Mostly the, yep. did it change like where you were at? Were you more customer facing certain times, or were you traveling? And what was the role like? Yeah, so 
I, I split up my time there in two phases. So the first phase, um, I was working on what we called real-time interfaces, which what we were discussing earlier, you know, actually in the hospital, sending that data back and forth um, in real time. Uh, and a lot of that was, there was a decent amount of traveling going out to client sites and meeting with them and uh, working on what it is that needs to be done for their design. Um, and it was a little bit more client facing. Uh, and then the second half of my time there, I joined a new team that used all the same technologies, all the same tools, but they focused on data migrations. So instead of doing real-time uh, interfaces, we would use those same interfaces to bulk import uh, patient data, um, either from like a entirely foreign system or an existing um, Cerner database. So let's say like, and this is actually happening uh, quite often now, you know, these larger health systems are buying up these uh, uh, smaller um, pra private practices and incorporating them into their existing systems. Um, and so something like that would happen. We would migrate the data from that, that private practice into the existing uh, uh, health system. Um, and that was a little bit less travel, a little bit less customer facing, more sort of in the weeds doing the work. Um, and yeah, and then right before I left the company, I was working a little bit on their big um, initiative with the the, the veterans uh, department to upgrade all the um, uh, software and all the uh, vet clinics around the, the U.S. In the VA, yeah, that was a very In big VA, contract. Yeah, yeah that that yes. Cerner Cerner got that huge VA contract, and and I know that's Massive. still in still an ongoing project. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> excuse me. Um, you, you know, one of the things I think about is, and, and I did a little work with um, private um, with, with you know, outside consulting with healthcare and the, some of the scariest things, the most on edge times I remember is when you're doing these database upgrades and these database migrations. And, you know, if you're dealing with a customer and you have just spent months talking to them about how great your system is and selling them this product and, and you're, you're telling them, yeah, it's no problem. I mean, you're not sales guys, salesmen are, right. are telling them, <laughs> yeah, we've see your, we see your database. That's from 1992 and all that stuff will be perfectly moved over and and it's like you come in and you've got these these different systems you may not know exactly what kind of format their data is in and you've got to you've got to work your magic to make it and do a lot of prep work running up to the time of when they're going to cut over to the new system yeah. and 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 just doing all sorts of transformations and things to make it so that their data moves over um were you ever worried um you know when some of these <laughs> When some of these, I mean, you do lots of testing and stuff, but I don't know. Yeah. Speak to a little bit about yes. that. Terrified. Every, so there's like, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's corny, but it's true. There is like a, a, a physical button press to like turn on the interfaces that's going to flow the data in. And, you know, anytime it's production, it's go live time and you got to click that button, it, took me, you know, like five seconds of to be like, all right, all right, all right, everything's fine. It's going to work. And then click. And for the most part, 
it worked. So because of those years, months of testing that we did prior. So, right. And usually the, and usually, you know, uh, uh, you'll have a, a backout plan, you know, if, if nothing works, yeah. if we need to, we go back and we try again next week. Um, yeah. but still nobody wants to do that. Right. Nobody wants no. to delay. And, and when it finally flows through, uh, and, and the new healthcare system that they've been excited about, and, and now all the patients and the practitioners and the nurses and the lab techs and everybody gets to start using this big, shiny, fancy, new, really exciting health <laughs> record system. And it makes their lives easier and, and, and yep. faster and happier. And it's all thanks to, you know, Michael Buman, who's sitting there in his cubicle, right. lis- listening to craft work at 2 a.m., you know, uh, <laughs> typing away SQL commands, right? Does that mean that's how it was, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And the, the, the part of what you're saying that's most true is that the system goes live and everyone loves it and no one has any complaints and they instantly, you know, go with the new practice plans that we've developed for them and they don't log back into the old system and do work over there and stuff too. So, yeah. And, and they never complain about it and you don't have to do follow-up <laughs> tech work. And yeah. So a little bit of tongue in cheek there. Um, that's right. But, but, you know, that's, that's the reality of things. And, and, um, and yeah, so I can, I can, I can say from experience, I worked with maybe two or three different migrations of small medical office from one system to another, the scheduling to a new scheduling and then integrating the scheduling and the health records into one. And then after I left, I know they went and took kind of a step backwards in terms of functionality and features, which makes the life of the providers and those who deal with it really tough. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but that's not your problem. Um, (laughs) So let's, let's, Let's move on. So you've, you've, sure. you you had a good experience at Cerner. You liked Kansas City? Uh, I did like Kansas City, yeah. It's a fun, fun town. Okay. Yeah. And, and you decided you wanted to go to, um, you know, our nation's third largest city, um, Chicago, uh, where, yeah. they, where they treat Cardinals fans like you and I with the <laughs> utmost respect and love. Yeah, how, that we how deserve, did, yep. Yeah, how did you end up in Chicago? Uh, so I, um, was looking to move to Chicago to be with my fiance. Okay. Uh, not at the time, but we are now. Um, congratulations. And thank you. Uh, Cerner at that point in time, wasn't, this is all pre pandemic. So they were not too keen on remote work. Uh, are letting me be essentially 100% remote from Chicago. So uh, I took a position with a um, smaller consulting, healthcare consulting company called Galen uh, Healthcare Technologies, doing essentially the same thing that I did at Cerner, uh, data migrations. But with a different Um, platform? With different platforms. So they had different tooling, different methodology. You know, they're not... Cerner internal, so they don't have access to everything that, you know, a Cerner, Cerner internal employees might have. But the good thing was, is that I got a lot of exposure to other EHRs, um, electronic health records specifically, worked a lot with Epic um, and McKesson, which are sort of the other two big players in the, the health right. records. Litech. So, yeah. 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 So, uh, and yeah, just continued sort of the, the, 
work um, there and built out my knowledge of uh, HL7 and different healthcare standards at different companies, you know, what their preferred methodologies are, different technologies. So it was a good sort of uh, expansionary move for me. And I and got to come to the best city in the world. So I, yeah, it's a great city. I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I want to talk about real quick healthcare space. So you, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you came to work at one of the largest healthcare technology companies, Cerner. And um, what happens a lot is that students will get their first job within kind of an industry and mm-hmm. they learn so much about that industry that they can take their talents and their knowledge within that industry to other big players and bounce between them because, you know, like HL7, you know, you 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 became, I'm assuming, kind of an expert in HL7 and, and what yeah. the what the systems look like in, in large scale health medical records, um, you know, systems. And so your, your talent is then really valuable to a lot of different people. So, you know, you, you, you were able to choose kind of where you wanted to live and find an opportunity there. And that's, you know, that's, that's one of the fortunate things about going into the industry that, that we're in is, is that you develop your knowledge in a specific realm um, and kind of focus your, your, your career path. And it's, it, it ends up being very lucrative. Um, and, and, you know, something like healthcare IT, there's a market for that in any large city. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And so, so you went from the giant to a smaller company and you're bouncing mm-hmm. around helping individual smaller, smaller customers, I guess, with their, their EHR and- needs and. Uh, same, about the same size of customers, actually. So, okay. you know, working for Cerner, you were dealing exclusively with Cerner clients, but they, there's plenty of big Epic and McKesson and other fish out there in the sea too. So we would, the, the company was mainly known for their archival product. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, whenever there's so many federal and state and, local standards that dictate how long uh, healthcare providers have to hold on to certain amounts of information and you don't want, or certain types of information. And you don't necessarily need to have that information living in your um, active provider facing EHR, uh, but you still have to hold on to it for legal purposes. So the the company made a product where um, you could store all of that stuff that you needed to keep hold of, but it needed sort of, easy access to in the cloud on our platform, uh, but still make it easy for if a records request does come in, you can retrieve that fairly easily and get that out there. Um, but I still just mainly just did the, the, the actual direct EHR to EHR data migrations for them. Okay. So we're talking, you know, live, you know, instant access storage has a cost to it. Yes. And, and, you know, you've got somebody's records of a, a knee replacement that they had when they were 50 and now they're 70 and that stuff isn't going to be called upon. And so companies want to move some of that data out of their expensive, you know, readily accessible storage and find an archival solution so that eventually someday that could be there if they need it. Yeah. Um, and so were you talking about like, like an Amazon Glacier type of storage or what kind of... Uh, I think it was all built in Azure. Okay. Um, 
But yeah, I didn't get to interact as much with that side of the company in my time there as I, I would have liked to. But yeah, I think it was it was definitely all cloud based, and I'm pretty sure it was built on the Azure platform. So. But but like a lower, slower, cheaper tier type storage cost that still has the, you know, the the scalability, the the reliability, but but not the highly available nature um, yeah. when you're talking about archives. Yep, yeah. I'd say that describes it very well. Okay, um, and, and because almost today, you know, there's there's. There's this idea you can get rid of data at some point, you know, legally you could um, with a lot of with a lot of industry regulations, depending on where you're at. But is the cost to keep it in case you ever need it that high? Um, and and our company is deciding we're just going to keep this forever um, because the cost of, of maybe needing it and not having it might be more than the cost of keeping somebody's knee replacement records from 25 years ago. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, there are like, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head what the, um, there's some specific type of, uh, uh, and it's all state to state for the most part, but um, like, uh, if you've ever had like a, any type of like uh, genomic tests run against you, like that, the hospital is required to keep record of that, like in perpetuity for all time. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, like uh, that can add up. Uh, so it's good to have a solution where you can store all that stuff in a low cost environment um, just in case legally, you know, it's you're requested to present that information. And and that could be to protect the company in the case of some sort of, you know, liability or, or lawsuit. Um, having that mm -hmm. data might save them, um, you know, some some monetary or reputational cost because they can prove what they did was the right thing, or or, or maybe the yep. flip side if you're somebody who's been injured. But we we won't go down that 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 path. Um, but but still, you know, neat neat stuff. So you 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 know you started out out of out of college in a an area that you didn't know you were going to work in, and and you are now twelve years past. 10 years past. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's it's uh, a little while. Yeah. Eight, eight years past. Yeah. Eight years out of since graduation. Yeah. Okay. 2015. Math was never my strong suit. Like I said, that's fine. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I, and I tell people today, I never calculus a thing in my life. Um, yeah. so, so who, you know, well, that's why we have computers. Exactly. You know, I can exactly. say I can say Siri, what is twelve times three? And you know, figure out my miles per gallon or how many how many you know conversions of this to that, whatever, right? Um, you you've you've you're now in Chicago, and have you been in the same company since since then, or you've you've moved into a new industry? Yeah. Tell, tell us what you're doing today. I did yeah. So beginning of this year, I moved from healthcare uh, IT over to legal. IT. Um, so I work for a company now that makes uh, a um, document management system uh, for law firms and corporate legal offices. Um, and I do data migrations for them. Um, so the company is in the middle of uh, rolling out a cloud version of their uh, product. Um, and so mainly my job is uplifting 
uh, current on-prem customers into the cloud. Okay. And, and you don't have to be specific, but are you working with one of the, you know, several big giant cloud vendors for the, the cloud technology? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Okay. Um, because for a while companies were trying to roll their own clouds, um, in some of these spaces, you know, and they mm -hmm. could be like, well, you can buy our cloud and we'll have the data center and we'll have your security and we'll hire all these people. But now it's almost to like, you, you go with Amazon, you go with, with, with Microsoft, you go with Google or some of these other, you know, yeah. big players. And it just, the economies of scale that they can provide in terms of, you know, m megabits or gigabits or terabits or petabits terabytes or whatever you want to talk in terms of you know, what how, how you're paying for things is it just makes sense um and and people you know the expertise to have somebody to help you with this or that part of it or this or that part of it or whatever mm -hmm. is there um and and so you know you you've got this solution um that's in that the, your company has this solution for archiving legal documents and and helping manage legal documents and and can you tell us maybe how the the difference between the health space and the legal space what 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 are the the regulatory or how does that make you know what you do different um in terms of just being in a different industry yeah so it, i can only speak for myself and sure. this and the specificities of my roles within those two spaces. But um, with healthcare, I dealt with a lot of discrete data. Um, and in the law world, I'm dealing with a lot of actual files and documents and, and stuff like that, which okay. is going to have additional discrete data on top of that layer. But having to deal with the, you know, the fact that there is a physical file out there somewhere and there's just stuff pointing to it, um, having to work with that has been uh, uh, a, a new challenge for sure. So you're talking, um, you're talking in some cases, you've got law firms that have, have, have floors and floors of probably paper documents. Yeah, less so. So I don't, I don't have to deal with that, thankfully. But like, actually, okay. there's, instead of just having a, uh, like a little um, string of structured patient data. I've got a little string of information about a document that sits on a file server somewhere else. Uh, gotcha. And so having to deal with both of those pieces for the migration is, um, is definitely different. Uh, from, a, from a regulatory standpoint, um, things are very similar, uh, just in the sense that there's an extra layer of security over everything. Um, you know, healthcare space is highly regulated, highly locked down. Um, and the same is just true for, for law firms and corporate legal offices as well. Uh, so there's always additional security concerns for essentially everything that we do. The start of any project, and this is true for both healthcare and, and legal, the start of every project is essentially in a, a two-week to two-month-long negotiation for how we as consultants are going to get access to the systems and data that we need access to. And, you know, you always want to ask for everything up front and then <laughs> negotiate down from there. But um, yeah, pretty, pretty similar spaces, even down to the, uh, um, you know, these are certain documents that we have to hold in perpetuity because there's a, a, some type of legal hold on them. 
Um, one thing I will say that they are different is that I don't, you know, I don't feel the amount of stress that I might have from working in healthcare, dealing with patient records. And, you know, this is someone's blood test that needs to get somewhere ASAP. Uh, yes. Uh, it's just a, a, a deposition or something. So <laughs> that's been a nice little change. Which is, you know, almost never important, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it is, but it to me, it doesn't feel as important, which I guess is what matters. Okay. But, but that deposition could be related to, you know, a class of people's blood tests. Yeah, you can't. Um, I'm I'm in a good place. You can't you can't be uh, uh, telling me stuff like that because now I'm going to stress out again. Oh, I mean, it was. I mean, it's probably all it's probably all speeding tickets that people didn't yeah, deserve. Exactly. Anyway. There you we know, go. It's, yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's it's. You know, when you when you are the custodian, I'm, I'm trying to find a pen here because I want to make a note of exactly because I'm going to ask you a question that I'm going to I'm going to take and put in a. And for my students in my current class, and here I am, Michael, I'm in my downstairs office that I taught classes from a, for a year and a half, and I can't find anything other than, and I'm, I'm, I'm kidding you not, two yellow highlighters, and, and <laughs> you, you know, here we go, a pen, um, but it's a broken pen, but at least it writes. Okay, so this is, I, I told you at the beginning, and, and off and on, I said, this is going to be the one episode so far that I'm going to have to learn how to do editing. Um, and, and that's, then that's fine. You'll, you know, whatever, this will be cut out. Um, but I'm making note of the time because what I want to ask is, um, in my enterprise security class, we just got done covering and, and talking to, um, another more recent grad about compliance and, and, um, you know, governance and regulation, how, um, how has your job or what what does your role have to do with or maybe in general around the company that you work for what are some of the bigger like legal or regulatory um pieces of of legislation that you know throw some names out there of like what you might have to work with for instance we just talked to a guy who who is knee deep in socks sarbanes oxley are there any specific mm. with with regards to your work in healthcare or in legal um, that have been there that you've had to work with or work around that I can, you know, cut this blurb out for use in my 460 class. Yeah. Uh, and my, my headphones are about to die. So if those go out, let me know. But uh, um, we'll finish up. Obviously, yeah. In healthcare, everything, you know, uh, HIPAA. Um, so any type of, uh, I mean, that just governs pretty much everything. Um one of the like main applications that you would see is just protection of PHI, so uh, protected health information. Um, and that uh, pretty much means, you know, anytime that you send an email with a patient's MRN in it, it has to be encrypted. Um, you know, if it's not, I remember one time I accidentally sent one out in plain text and had to immediately email the people and be like, please delete this, uh, notify their like ethics officer that it could be a potential breach, um, so on and so forth. Uh, we worked with a client in Canada who I don't remember what their local, I, I don't remember what Canadian law was governing this, but we weren't able to access their systems from America um, mm -hmm. because the Canadian data could not leave physically leave their servers and be transferred to computers in the U S. So we had to get 
systems and their network that we could then remote, remote into and do their work. Okay. Uh, in the legal space, GDPR is the big one. Um, in Europe, uh, the company I work for is a global company. So that's, you know, those are always a big concern. I have yet to work with any of the European companies uh, or excuse me, any of our European clients. So I haven't, I don't have any practical examples or um, uh, uh, stories of having worked with that in the past, but I know that that, that is a big one. Um, and I don't, I, I can't think of any other, I'm sure, I, I'm sure that there's tons of, of regulatory um, acts and, and laws out there, but I'm, I'm drawing a blank on any other ones for, for the legal space. And, and probably, you know, when you speak about GDPR, you know, that's, that's something that's been around for a while. And so your company's, mm-hmm. your company's navigated that, that path already. And so their solutions ha- has taken that into consideration. And when things happen and things change, your company's going to be nimble and they're going to make sure that their product and what they sell and what they do are are working and compliant with whatever you know the yep. new regulation or the new um, you know industry kind of uh, mandate is, and and so that's yes. you know that's understood. Um, is there anything unique about the the, the legal industry? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it's uh, I think. Gosh, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know at this point, you know, I've only been in the role for less than a year. Um, it seems pretty similar to, to, to healthcare, uh, just with all the, um, uh, all the compliance around it and, um, security, but gosh, unique. I don't know. I just, I'm so like at a root level, data is the same it feels like for the most part um you know obviously all the different kind of data is different but structures are similar concepts are similar uh practical use is similar um you don't see a whole lot of uniqueness down at the the sequel level it feels like okay that's fair yeah um Okay, so anything, I, I've got five questions to, to lead us out, but anything, you know, not in any words of advice, but anything you, you know, that I should have asked, because the words of advice are coming up. Um, sure. Anything I should have asked you about what you've been doing or, or technology or your jobs or, you know, things like that? Man, no, I don't think so. I feel like I'm pretty uninteresting as far as like the... Um, uh, as far as my jobs go, um, well, let's I'm hope that's not the case because I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking for <laughs> thousands of of downloads on this. You know, you're gonna yeah, be my yeah. you're gonna be my first uh, your my first episode to reach the 100 downloads mark. I guess I actually I haven't I haven't looked, so maybe we'll push it for it. We'll we'll you know this will this will be out there. We'll we'll get this global. You'll be on Good Morning America on Sunday morning. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask you, um, you remember Paul's Security Weekly from a long time ago podcast? Maybe, maybe not. Seats was real big into that one. But I've got five fun questions for you. Are you ready? Okay, let's do it. What's your favorite kind of food, your favorite restaurant, your favorite cuisine? Broad question. Spanish. I uh, love, love Spanish tapas. My favorite restaurant here in Chicago is a place called Cafe Baba Riba that does Spanish tapas. 
I remember hearing about that one and I never ate there, but I remember, is it kind of got, is there a, is there a sheep associated with it or something or. Uh, they've got like a bull a bull. in a lot okay. of their marketing. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. And I remember being in Madrid and Barcelona and the tapas and that was such a neat thing. Um, interesting stuff that you were sometimes given and um, had to politely say, yeah, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> If this, try it if, if this whole fish with scales and all is what I want to eat right now, but, but thank you anyway, you know? Uh, <laughs> okay. So um, any books, podcasts, movies, TV shows, anything you're, uh, you're, you're enjoying recently you want to recommend? Um, gosh, I'm trying to like keep it like tech related. It doesn't have uh, to be. I really... Okay. Well, semi-tech related but i really enjoyed devs on fx from a, a, a couple of years ago that was pretty good um devs devs yeah like developers but devs okay uh books um i'm reading i'm re I, i'm really into the rick perlstein uh histories of conservatism in america and i'm finally getting around to reading reagan land right now and it's incredible uh, so really recommend those if you're into, into history, okay. um, m movies, just whatever. This is just open-ended. Yeah. It's just been ages. And I, I recommend the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the original one, been rewatching those. And they're just as good as when right. I was a kid. Is there any new technology that you're interested in learning or playing around with at home at work? Ooh, uh, yeah, I've been messing around with the like uh, um, AI generating like uh, the the text AI ones and the uh, uh, like image gener generators. Play with okay. those whenever I can. Those are pretty fun. Okay. Um, any words of advice for our future IT pros that might see this? Yeah, just uh, don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to uh, say yes to a position that you might not think that you're qualified for, or you might not think that you have the skills to be able to do. Um, I trust it. Yeah, you can figure it out. I figured it out. You can do sometimes, it too. Sometimes they say fake it till you make it. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes they say that, yeah. All right. And then lastly, uh, if you could retire today, do anything you want, money's no object, whatever you wanted to do, where would you be? What would you be doing? I would go to culinary school and I would be a chef. What kind of chef? Ooh, I don't care. I don't really know. I've just, I, I like cooking. I, I could be like a short order cook and like a greasy diner somewhere. That would be fun. I could be a fine dining chef. That would also be enjoyable. Yeah. Anything awesome. like that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I am going to turn off the recording. Michael, thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun uh, catching up with you and, and hearing what you're up to. Yeah. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's great to talk to you again. So we are back and um, it's Sunday afternoon and Michael Buman and I are going to have another follow-up chat. He wanted to speak about um, some an issue or, or an area that's kind of near to him and is very, very relevant. And I agree that he uh, has some really cool things to say about it. So um, I'm not going to introduce anything other than that. Let's just go.
<laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, so after our, our chat on Friday, I really uh, sat down and sort of started really thinking about how I, I, I feel about my place in the tech job world. And, you know, some things that I've experienced that I think um, might be helpful for, you know, people coming up out of, out of college. Um, uh, one of the biggest things that, you know, I experienced that I didn't think was going to be uh, really an issue was um, the, the topic of burnout. Um, and I think that for a lot of people in really any job, but uh, uh, I think it's especially bad in the world of tech is um, you're just expected to be available 24-7. You're expected to, you know, uh, hop on a call at the, the any time of day at the drop of the dime to fix an issue. Um, things are expected to be done yesterday. And again, this isn't, you know, an original thought or by any means only uh, applicable to, to tech jobs. I just think that it's, that's my experience. Um, and I want people to, you know, be aware of that and that it doesn't have to be all consuming for you. You can find a balance. Um, and I think it's really healthy to find that balance and, uh, to not let yourself essentially be taken advantage of. I agree with that. And, and I think one of the, the big things to, um, to kind of, uh, bring in this, this concept or this, this term I've heard recently is job creep where you know you 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 start out and your job is to do a b c d x y z and as you do well and as people come to rely on you and as you kind of maybe move um up in terms of how value or valuable you are at the company um there kind of can be a cycle where where certain types of people i think are fed into being asked to do something that maybe is above and beyond what they're supposed to do, but they can do it and they can do it well and it mm -hmm. makes somebody happy. And so it makes them happy and it feeds yeah. and it goes in a cycle. And that's where that like job creep gets. And next thing you know, you're getting those messages at 3 PM on a Sunday afternoon. And, you know, you are being asked by your boss to fix something that you shouldn't be doing at 3 PM on a yeah. Sunday afternoon. You um, have a, you have a job title, you have a list of specific, um, uh, your, your duties are outlined in your role and, uh, yeah, I mean, job creep that that I ha haven't actually heard that before, but it it describes it perfectly, I think. Yeah, and and the whole you know the whole thing about emails, you know, emails come in, and when we when we put those emails on our work on our personal phones, our work emails on our personal phones, mm -hmm. we're inviting that to happen. Um, and you know, I think a lot of us are guilty of that, and not even realizing that that's what we're doing. We're inviting the work culture and the work to come home and sit with us yeah. when we're watching TV with the family and trying to sleep and, you know, going for a jog in the morning, all that type <laughs> of stuff. It's a, it's especially uh, pernicious now in the age of work from home. You know, you are literally at home with your work uh, all day and that, hard barrier that they used to have maybe just being in the office and having access to those uh, only certain resources from within the office as soon as you left you didn't have access you're good but now it's there all the time and it's uh, uh, really easy to let that barrier sort of dissolve between between what work and home is and I can only speak for myself but I really struggled with 
finding that balance earlier in my career. Um, I feel like I'm in a much better place now. And uh, some of that is just, uh, you know, a more mature mindset about it. Some of it is taking little tips like uh, not having work uh, email installed on my personal phone. Um, you know, some jobs there, they, they will make you do that. But if it's, if it's an option for myself, I don't do it. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, you always want to get ahead and you always want to work hard and you want to move up um, in the world. But uh, I think that there's a better way to do that than completely overworking yourself to the point of, uh, uh, of burnout. So very valid. And, and that's, you know, and, and we should also mention, you know, with, with COVID and, and the shift to telework and remote working and all that, it's done tremendous things with allowing families to be flexible mm-hmm. and allowing people to, you know, drop out and go to a doctor's appointment and then fill in later and to make up those hours. So we're, we're certainly not saying, you know, that if your job expectation is in your A, B, C, D things that you're supposed to do, and some of that is take calls after work, you know, and maybe you yeah. get paid extra or maybe your salary, that's part of the job. But it's that that scope when it creeps, when when you've done this for so long and now you're doing well and you're doing extra because it just kind of tends to be that the person who does the good work gets more of the work piled on them. Um, and, 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 you know, that's where the burnout happens. And I think that, yeah. that's, that's common, I think, with people maybe three, four, five years out of college, especially because everybody's mm-hmm. working so hard after they graduate to, to, to make a name for themselves and to move up from that entry level position and find their niche. Yeah. And it, yeah, by all means, I'm not anti work from home at all. Yeah. The opposite. I'm just right. uh, for myself, that was one thing that I have to constantly be thinking about is, you know, now that I don't have that office, you know, where is the line? Where do I, I draw that line to, to feel balanced and feel good about my overall life and, right. and work? And, and even, you know, like, you know, um, setting a timer that, that says, hey, after 50 minutes in this hour, I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk around for 10. And, mm-hmm. and those types of things are great little um, you know, life hacks for, for preventing some of that burnout, even during the regular yeah. workday when you're sitting around doing your re- work from home or like me recording videos. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Right. So, so yeah. So after we get done, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to walk around. Yeah. My, my best advice is get a dog. And so you always have an excuse to, Hey, got to take the dog for a walk and they love it. We love it. If you're talking to, you know, uh, uh, co-workers, they, they love it. They want to see your dog. So if you can do it, that's my advice. Or uh, a bunch of kids to come knock on your doors and say, <laughs> hey, I need to eat some food or can you drive me yeah. here or something like that. Yeah, that might be next after the dog, Michael. I'm not going to I'm not going to go any further with that uh, with that line. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. All right. Thank you again. Anything? Any last words? Uh no, I don't think so. Uh, thanks for letting me come back on and talk a little bit about burnout. I appreciate it. We will find a cool way to put this in either at the end or maybe a separate little blurb. We'll figure it out. Cool. Yeah, I think just like edit it in just in a random place in the podcast. So it's, you know, a little bit jarring and stuff that it keep the listeners on their toes. And I will flip both of our heads upside down and we will speak backwards. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Tom. See you later. All right, bye.